You're listening to the Dwell on These Things podcast, a regular dose of Christ-centered encouragement to put your mind in a better place. Listen in as Pastor John Stonge shares Bible studies, interviews, training, and some of his most recent sermons. We're glad to have you with us today. This morning we're continuing our look at the book of Philemon, and we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 14, and we're going to be just wrestling with the question, do you want to be useful to God and His greater purposes? That's one of the things that's illustrated in this portion of Scripture. So if you would take your Bibles and turn with me to Philemon, starting with verse 11, and I'm going to read down to verse 14. This is what it says. It says, formerly he was useless to you. But now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to look at your word together this morning. We're just so grateful, Lord, that, that we're able to carve out this time to be able to worship you and to sing our praises to you and really dig into the things that you've revealed to us in Scripture. Lord, we know that this is something you've taught us to value, and this is something that, that you have made it abundantly clear to us will aid us in our walk with you. We get to learn more about your heart and your motivation and some of the details related to your gospel that we would not naturally understand. We understand these things because you've revealed them to us in your word, and your spirit helps make these things clear to our minds and our hearts, and you help us apply these things. You give us the strength to live these things out. So, Lord, we pray that as we look at this portion of Scripture today, we pray that you'd encourage our hearts. We pray that we'd grow in our walk with you as a result. We pray that we'd learn more about you and about your plan for humanity, and that we would utilize the strength that you supply to actually put these things into practice. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the, the pro, last week we were talking a little bit about children, a little bit about parenting, things like that. And I was thinking a little bit about that this week as well, even as uh, I was preparing uh, to look at this portion of Scripture from the book of Philemon. But the process of watching your children grow up and the process of watching them mature, it could be a very enjoyable process at times, but it's also a process that requires a lot of faith and it requires a lot of patience. And I think a, a lot of parents could testify to that. When your children are young, They require a ton of your physical energy as you try and keep them safe. As you realize, they don't really seem to have an off switch, right? It's like 24-7, they want to do something, and what they want to do is rarely, they rarely just want to sit down and read with you, right? They want you to be running or throwing something or or doing something that's physical. I remember when our kids were, were little, I was like, boy, this is very tiring. It's good exercise, but very tiring. And then you notice as they grow older, they start to require more and more of your emotional energy as you try and guide them during seasons when it feels like maybe they're not listening or maybe they're starting to pull away from you. And so you have that internal tension and a lot of emotional energy gets used in the midst of that. And then as they emerge into adults, you find that you need a lot of prayer and you need a lot of faith that what you have taught and modeled for them all these years will now be put into practice while they're on their own. And so it's a very faith-stretching experience all along the way. 
Now, in our household, there's a variety of things going on. And uh, there are certain things that my wife oversees and certain things that I oversee. One of the things that I oversee for our family are our finances. And I try and take careful note of where our household income is being either given or where it's being invested or where it's being spent. And I often joke with Andrea about how inexpensively we could live if our children didn't need food and shelter and utilities and clothing and entertainment and medical care. You know, before we had kids, our our primary financial expense was just really centered around what we personally needed. And since we've had children, the majority of our income has been spent on them. And uh, all kidding aside, we're, we're actually happy to do that. Don't tell them we're actually pretty fond of them. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're actually happy to, to bless them in that way. But recently, I was reminded of the practical side of that expense or the practical side of having a house full of children. Uh, a few months ago, and I'm really glad that it, this is not the case today, but a few months ago, some of you remember, we had a pretty decent snowstorm, and um, the snow was deep, the snow was heavy. I remember thinking, you know what, this is the type of snow that if you don't clean it up quickly, it's going to turn to ice, so we got to get out there quickly. And so I was the first one out of our house to begin the process of shoveling, but within a few minutes, every member of our family joined me. As my wife and I looked at that army of children with shovels in their hands emerging from our home, we said, I guess it was all worth it. (laughs) Like, look at how useful they have become. And that was in my mind the entire time. I thought, boy, this is going so much easier with their help. Now, I bring that up comically, but also related to the scripture we're looking at, because when you look at the portion of scripture, that we're in today, it it really reminds us of this concept of being useful. It talks about this idea of being useful, and I suspect that as people who trust in Jesus Christ, we desire to be useful to Him. You know, when I look at my life, when I look at your life, I would assume that if you would carve out time, even just to gather for worship in a moment like this, the odds are you would like to be useful in God's overall plan. We want to partner with him in his work of, uh, of, of redemption in this world. We want to be on his side. We want to do the things that he equips us to do. We want to live in obedience to his calling on our lives. We want to glorify him because that was the purpose for which we were created. So these are all things that I think are high priorities for those of us who are growing believers in Jesus Christ. And so the question I'll just throw out there for us regardless of what season you're at, some of you are children, some of you are at a different season of life, how can we be useful Christians? How can we be useful in the kingdom of God? How can we be useful Christians? Or what kind of actions can we take to help demonstrate the genuine nature of our genuine faith in Jesus Christ? And I think some of those actions and some of the attitudes that go behind these things are actually mentioned for us in the portion of Scripture that we just read from Philemon when we looked at verses 11 to 14. And so we're just going to work our way through these verses here as we think about this idea of being useful to the Lord and useful for His greater purposes. And one of the things that he illustrates for us here when you look at verse 11 is we're reminded, all right, if you want to be useful, if you want to be useful in the kingdom of God, if you want to be useful... Uh, you know, ultimately in, in the redemptive work that the Lord's seeking to do in this world, if you want to partner with him in that respect, I think one of the things that we need to strongly consider is this idea of living up to the name that we've been given. Now, what do I mean by that, this idea of living up to the name we've been given? Well, let me reread verse 11. It says this. Paul is speaking here to Philemon. He's writing this 
to Philemon, and he makes a statement here about Onesimus. He says, formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. So think about some of the background of that statement and some of the things that are going on here. As Paul writes this brief letter to Philemon, it's not very long, but what he does is he continues making an appeal on behalf of Onesimus. And if you remember who Onesimus is, Onesimus was Philemon's escaped slave who had possibly taken some money or something from Philemon as he escaped. But he escaped from slavery in Philemon's household. And in the midst of doing that, he actually came to faith in Jesus Christ. And presently, as Paul was writing these things down, Onesimus was serving alongside Paul. Paul was under house arrest at the time, and Onesimus was was actually helping Paul out in a variety of ways. But now Onesimus was going to be traveling back to the city of Colossae, where he was from and where Philemon lived, and he was going to be delivering this letter personally along with Tychicus. He was going to be delivering this letter in person to Philemon and then watching how Philemon was going to react as his former slave who escaped and had probably stolen money from him, was now right there in front of him delivering a letter. Now, I don't know what kind of responsibilities Onesimus took care of when he was working for Philemon years earlier. I don't know what his his household role was, but I'm sure Philemon was very happy to have his help because the more work that Onesimus oversaw, the less Philemon would have to concern himself with. But to lose, Phi, or to lose Onesimus's help was going to be a problem in some way for Philemon. It certainly changed the nature of what was going on in that household when Onesimus ran away. And I'm sure when Onesimus escaped, when Philemon thought of him, he probably just thought of the man and said, you know, that guy's useless. He's useless to me. You know, he's useless. At one point he was helpful, now he's useless which makes the words that Paul uses here in this portion of Scripture rather interesting. And by the way, this whole idea of living up to the name that you've been given as I'm bringing this up, do you know what the name Onesimus actually means? By the way, I I don't expect you to know what that means, okay? Some of you that are new here are like, does this pastor quiz everybody every Sunday? Most Sundays, yes. You get a better seat. You get a closer seat if you get the quiz right. That's why no one's in that front row. Everybody got last week's quiz wrong. Onesimus, as a name, actually means useful. It actually means useful. And so what Paul was doing, it's like a play on words when he's, when he's referencing Onesimus here, and he's talking about the fact that he used to be useless to Philemon. It's a play on words. So he incorporates that meaning into this passage here. And so Paul mentioned that as an escaped slave, Onesimus would have seemed useless. But now he was demonstrating just how useful, living up to his name, useful, He really was. As a new believer in Christ, Onesimus had chosen to be useful to Paul's ministry and would now also be useful to Philemon's work when he returned to Colossae, where he could partner with Philemon in ministry in the city of Colossae, helping out the local church, doing a variety of things. But basically, in doing so, Onesimus would finally be living up to his name as being useful, the name meaning useful. Now, I'll I'll tell you this. Uh, Because of the name that I was given at birth, I've always been in a very interesting predicament. I have the same name as my great-grandfather, and my grandfather, and my father. So growing up, that was kind of a big deal. Frank, you do too. High five to being a fourth, right? All right, high five. Oh, are you? 
And a fifth, all right, show off. Why is your kid such a show off? Oh my gosh. Calm down, fifth. Calm down. <laughs> all right, but the two of you guys are going to understand what I'm saying here with this, because growing up, I felt a strong desire to live up to that name. You know, because I, I mean, these were, these were people that I, I strongly and deeply looked up to and still do. And I had this thought, all right, whatever I do, you know, I, my name's John Stonge, so it, whatever I do, it's going to impact these other men, right? We have the same name. We have the same name. And then I gave that name to my oldest son, another fifth, great, right? But I gave that name to my oldest son, and I've often encouraged him. I'm like, listen, you've been given this name. Do good things with it, because whatever you choose to do is going to inevitably reflect upon me, and reflect upon your grandfathers, et cetera, et cetera. But let me ask you this, related to whether you're a fourth or a fifth or a 17th or whatever number you are, right? Have you ever, have you ever considered the spiritual implications of the name that you've been given? what I mean by that is this. I'm not primarily asking about the name that you were given at birth. I'm actually referencing the name you were given when you were born again. Have you ever thought about the spiritual implications of the name that you've been given? When you trusted in Jesus Christ, you were made a bearer of his name, and you were made his ambassador here on this earth. You bear the name of Christ, and you are an ambassador of Christ on this earth. So since that day, everything you've said and everything you have done has reflected on him to one degree or another. And so the question I think we ought to wrestle with, if that's the case, is are we representing him well? Are we living up to the good name we've been given? You've been given a good name. You bear the name of Christ. As a follower of Christ, you bear the name of Christ. Are we living up to the good name we've been given? Let me show you a couple portions of Scripture that speak to this. Acts chapter 9 is an interesting portion of Scripture because it's referencing some things that the Apostle Paul was about to endure. And as this was being revealed, it says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And then the Lord revealed, he says, For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So in that context there... Paul going around all these different people, the categories the Lord speaks of here, right? Gentiles, kings, and children of Israel. He's like, he's actually going, because he bears my name as he goes before these people, he's actually going to experience a lot of suffering. There are times that you may suffer because you bear the name of Christ. But keep in mind, you as a, as a follower of Christ, people associate you with him. And, and this was being spoken of in relation to the Apostle Paul, for I will show him how much he actually must suffer for the sake of my name. How about this? In uh, 1 Peter 4, 16, it says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So what's that all about? Well, as a Christian, you are a follower of whom? Follower of Christ. And what do we have the opportunity to do? We have the opportunity to glorify God in that name. You bear the name of of Christ. Are we living up to the name that we've been given? So here Paul's talking about Onesimus, and he's saying, all right, formerly he was useless to you, but now he's going to live up to his name. He's actually useful, just like the name Onesimus means. But there's a bigger application to that that I think that you and I 
can really, really learn something from. And it's this idea of the fact that as Christians, we are followers of Christ who bear his name. And so by his grace, let's live up to that good name he's given us. Because you represent him to everyone that you interact with. And there's something that they will think about him related to what they first see in you. Something else that the scripture brings up today that I think is useful and is something worth keeping in mind, especially if we're thinking about what does it look like to be useful in the kingdom of God? What does it look, to be, look like to be useful as we seek to partner with the work God is doing? And I think it's this idea of sacrificing what you have for the good of someone else. Because you're going to see Paul demonstrate this here. Look at verses 12 and 13 of Philemon. He says, I am sending him back to you. So he's speaking of Onesimus. And he's writing this to Philemon. And he's saying to Philemon, I am sending Onesimus. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. Let's pause there for a second. Imagine how difficult it must have been for Paul to send Onesimus back to Philemon. Paul was a spiritual father to this man. He was a spiritual father to both of these men, right? He'd led, he, but he had, led, he had led Onesimus to Christ, and now he had discipled Onesimus. And now, he was, now Onesimus was serving in ministry alongside the Apostle Paul, and certainly helping him out, and maybe at times just even keeping him company in the midst of that imprisonment in Rome. And um, Onesimus is right there, assisting him, offering him friendship, being there for conversation, being there to help. But if Paul sent him back to Philemon, if he sends him back to the city of Colossae where he's going to go back to Philemon, if Paul sends him back, that would certainly impact the quality of Paul's day-to-day life, would it not? You know, I mean, have you ever had a a season where you just kind of worked day in and day out with somebody, if someone was like your right-hand man? And it seems like for a season there, Onesimus was, was really making himself helpful to the Apostle Paul in the work that he was doing. And yet, you know, Paul's thinking, all right, this is going to impact my day-to-day life and the quality of my life, and yet I get the impression that he felt that it was just simply the right thing to do in so many ways. And uh, I, I think we can all sympathize, by the way, with Onesimus and his decision to run away from slavery, and probably even sympathize with his decision to take a little money from Philemon as he did so. I'm not encouraging either of those things necessarily, but I'm just saying, like, I don't think any of us looking at Onesimus in that desperate situation would think that we, would, we personally would have done anything different. If I was in that situation, I, I don't think I would have done anything different than Onesimus did. Knowing my personality, I think I would have gotten sick of it, and I think I would have been like, you know what, I'm out of here, and oh, I've worked for you like for a million years, and so we're just going to call this back wages later, and then out of there. So I don't blame Onesimus for doing any of that. Uh, he made that decision, but here's the thing. Under Roman law at the time, that put him in a very like, perilous predicament because what he had done was punishable by death. So yes, he escaped from the city of Colossae. Yes, he escaped from uh, serving Philemon. But now he goes to Rome, and I think he's trying to blend in and trying to do all the things that he's doing. And he's, he's probably at this point now, especially since he's come to faith in Jesus Christ, I think at this point now his conscience has been awakened and he's probably thinking to himself, I'm living a double life. This is very duplicitous. I'm living every day with this fear of maybe one day being caught. Don't you think that'd be a very difficult way to live your life from that point on? Just always this thought that maybe you'd get caught and maybe you'd get in trouble. And so that's hanging over his head and 
and it was punishable by death. And so I, I think this is something that's on his mind. But now returning to Philemon offers an opportunity for something to take place. I think this gives an opportunity for Onesimus to address this issue once and for all. I think it also offers Philemon an interesting opportunity, and it was an opportunity to forgive and to demonstrate mercy. So there's mutual benefit here if this reunion could take place. And so for the greater good of Onesimus and Philemon, two men that the Apostle Paul had led to faith in Jesus Christ, you have Paul encouraging Onesimus to return. He wants him to stay, but he encourages him to return. It was to his benefit that he remained, but it was to the benefit of both of these men if he returns. And so Paul willingly sacrificed what was to his benefit for both of them. And I look at that experience, and I look at what Paul chooses to do here and the actions that these men take, and I think, isn't that the mindset that's at the heart of the gospel? This idea of sacrificing what you have for the good of somebody else? You know, when I look at what Jesus did for you and for me, what I'm seeing is the demonstration of of perfect, sacrificial love being demonstrated in his actions. Because what did Jesus Christ do? He laid down his very life for you and for me. We didn't deserve it, but he did so for our benefit. And now he gives us the opportunity to follow his example by, by showing sacrificial love to other people in his name. We have the opportunity to demonstrate sacrificial love to other people in his name. I love what scripture tells us in 1 John 3.16. It says, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. The idea is, as a recipient of that kind of sacrificial love, it should motivate the way we interact with other people. If Christ was willing to lay down his life for you and for me, should we not demonstrate that kind of sacrificial love to other people that are in our life? Should we not be willing to lay down our lives for the brothers? And it's easy to read something like this, but it gets tested in unique ways. And I think I remember sharing this somewhere along the way, so forgive me if I've already shared this, but I was thinking about this this week. I'm like, all right, when in my life has the Lord tested this for me? When has this been tested in my life? And I I was able to think of an example where both my wife and I felt tested in this idea of of sacrificing uh, what we have for the good of of another person. I remember years ago when I was a, a relatively new pastor, I used to go to these lunches with all these retired pastors. One of my favorite things to do was to just sit down with these guys and not even do a lot of talking. I would just try and do a lot of listening. I just wanted to hear the wisdom that they had and the experiences that they had. I just wanted to hear them tell stories. That's all I wanted to do because I knew that something would get in my head that would help me with the task that I was being called to do. So I'd go to these things with these, these gentlemen all the time, and some of them were recently retired. Some of them had been retired for decades. And I remember I was in Mountaintop, Pennsylvania at, uh, at one of these lunches, and uh, afterward I was just standing around talking to some people, and one of the other pastors came back in, and he said, John, I have some bad news. And I said, oh, I said, why? What's going on? What happened? And he said, well, and he mentioned the name of one of the oldest men there, and uh, he said, I, he's out in the parking lot, and he just crashed his car into your van. And I was like, did he? And he said, yeah. Like, he, he just backed it up right into the side of your van. And I was like, oh, all right. And so we walked outside, and I looked at it. And I'm seeing this, this elderly gentleman that I looked up to and somebody that, that uh, I could say I've learned a lot from. And I'm seeing him all flustered because he also knows 
that at that season of life, you, you, you know, sometimes when you goof that up, then your insurance goes through the roof, or sometimes you lose the opportunity to, um, you know, drive. And, and uh, it was a real tricky parking lot. I almost could look at it and see, like, how anyone could have done that. I don't even think him doing that had anything to do with his age, but I know he was really flustered. And I looked at it, and I remember it, it's in those moments that you don't have a long time to pray and make a decision, right? You got to decide something right then. And I, I remember in that moment just feeling like the Spirit of God was saying, just let it go. Just let it go. Like, don't make a big deal about it. See if you could fix it yourself. I didn't really know if I could fix it. Uh, but I looked at it, I was like, and I just said to him, I, I said, you know what, we're good. He's like, what do you mean we're good? I just crashed your car. I was like, we're good. It's just, it's just the door. You know, worst case scenario, I have to put a new door on. Uh, but I think I can fix it. And, uh, and he said, you sure? And I said, yeah, I'm sure. And uh, I just remember watching this older man just feel just a sense of relief. And then I thought to myself, all right, how do you fix that? <laughs> and, uh, but I, I bought what I thought, the tools I thought I needed to fix it, and I actually fixed it. I was able to fix it. So thankfully, I didn't fix it perfectly because I noticed certain parts on that door always were loose. But now here, here's how I think about it all these years later. Where's that car now? Where's that van now? Most likely it's in a junkyard somewhere, right? It's long enough that I doubt that it's still on the road. Most likely that car's in a junkyard somewhere. And what do I care more about? You know, a couple decades removed from that experience, or almost a couple decades removed. I don't still care about that van, but what I do care about is how I treated that older man who had mentored me in a variety of ways. I care about that. and I, So I actually look back at that moment and have a good feeling toward it and not a bad feeling. And I, I, it was kind of interesting, too, when, when that uh, gentleman passed away, his daughter reached out to me and asked if I would officiate at his funeral. And I said, yeah. And so each of us had the opportunity to just kind of be part of our, each other's lives in a, in a meaningful way. But I bring that up just to say, don't be surprised if somewhere along the way, the Lord asks you to sacrifice something for the good of somebody else. And when you, when you get that ask... And you can tell that the Holy Spirit is saying to you, just do it. Will it cost you something? Most likely it's going to cost you something. That's the idea of it being a sacrifice. It's going to cost you something. It'll either cost you money or time or inconvenience or frustration. It's going to cost you something. That's okay. Because we look at what Christ did for us. By, it's, by this we know love. You know, this is what love really looks like. That, that Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So lay down, laying down your life for somebody else doesn't always literally mean that you push them out of the way of the speeding train and then you take the train for them. Sometimes it means you take the dent in your car for them, right? And sometimes it means something else. But the idea is that you just lay down with a sacrificially and, uh, sacrificial and loving spirit. You just lay down what the Lord encourages you to lay down and you do it for the benefit of somebody else. Christ did that for us. Paul was now trying to do that in regard to Onesimus and Philemon. And you, you know, parents, you're doing that all the time. But each of us as believers in Christ, there's going to be some spot in your life where that gets tested. And I would just encourage you when it gets tested, consider it a joyful opportunity to live up to the name you've been given. And don't make a big deal about it. Just a joyful opportunity to live up to the name you've been given, and then you move on and you live another day knowing that you listen to the counsel of the Holy Spirit. There's one other thing that's brought up here in this portion of Scripture. I think it's really useful to notice. When you look at verse 14, it reminds us to give someone else time to do the right thing. So if we're talking about being useful in the overall plan of God's kingdom, 
we think about the ways that we could impact and even help disciple other believers, I think sometimes that involves giving someone else time to do the right thing. When you look at verse 14, Paul says it this way. He says, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. So Paul made it abundantly clear that he would have preferred to keep Onesimus with him. But he didn't want to do that without Philemon's full knowledge and without Philemon's blessing. So Onesimus was now being sent back. But this also makes me wonder what Philemon's initial response was going to be to seeing Onesimus. Would he get angry? I think Onesimus was thinking about these things as well. Would uh, Philemon demand restitution of whatever he felt like he was owed? What would he do when Onesimus returned and and stood right before him. But as Paul mentioned earlier in this letter, when you look at the opening verses in the opening section, over the years, what had the Lord been doing in Philemon's life since that time when Onesimus had left? During those years, Philemon had started to become a strong believer in Christ. He'd become a Christian. He's hosting now at this point the local church in his home. He's actively seeking to refresh the faith of other believers. That was his reputation in the community of believers at the time. He was someone who would refresh your faith. By the way, aren't you grateful for people like that? Do you have a few people? I hope you have a few people like that in your day-to-day life who just refresh your faith. The Lord has strategically placed a few people in my life who refresh my faith. It seems like every time I see them, they refresh my faith. I'm so grateful to the Lord for them. And apparently Philemon had that reputation. He was known as someone who would just refresh the faith of others in the city of Colossae. And so it wouldn't surprise me to learn that when Onesimus actually returned to Philemon, that uh, Philemon responded favorably. And keep in mind also, you know, I get the impression that Philemon was a person of, of wealth. I, I get the impression that he, he had monetary means as well. And I, it wouldn't surprise me that to, to find out that he was somebody who would actively meet the needs of other people in the community. I kind of get the impression that he was probably very generous, especially as you see it illustrated here that he opened up his home for the believers to be able to meet there. And so how would you expect a man like that to respond when given the opportunity to do the right thing. What response would you expect? Did Paul need to order him to do the right thing, or do you think he could trust Philemon to listen to the direction and the counsel of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit spoke to Philemon's heart about this matter? As a recipient of the grace of God, would Philemon be gracious? These are the things that I think Paul's wrestling with here. As a beneficiary of the mercy of Christ, would Philemon demonstrate mercy? You know, as... as uh, as one who had benefited from the patience of God, would Philemon demonstrate patience and understanding toward Onesimus when he returned and handed him this letter and said, I'm back. I believe that's what he did. I believe that that's how he responded. And I, get it, I take a lot of that from the kind of confidence that the Apostle Paul seems to have in Philemon as he writes this letter. And I don't think that he would send Onesimus back into a situation where he was about to be devoured. I think if Paul's conscience was troubled about this, he wouldn't have sent Onesimus back into a situation where he could be devoured. I think that, it was as, that he felt that Philemon's faith had gotten to a spot of spiritual maturity where he could say, you know what, the Lord's been patient with me and I've goofed up a bunch of stuff. And by the way, don't you look at your own life and say that? Like, thank you. Do you ever thank God just for being patient with you? Like, we... That's one of those things I look at over, over the course of my life, I, I think, Lord, you could have just laid the hammer down, right? And what did you do? You chose to be patient with me instead. 
And I think that we have the opportunity as believers in Christ to be patient toward one another. And I, I love what it says. This is a good example in, in 2 Peter 3, 9. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. What is He doing? He, he desires to give you and I the opportunity to repent, give, to, to give you and I the opportunity ultimately to trust in Jesus Christ, but then also to walk in repentance. Because the Lord was patient with me before I came to faith in Christ, but he's also been patient with me since I've come to faith in Christ. And repentance isn't just something for us when we're unbelievers. It's also something for us as a daily activity as believers. And I think that if I can live in repentance and admit just how much I need Jesus today, just, as, just like I, I needed him yesterday, that puts my heart in a good spot in, in relation to the Lord because it's a reminder every single day that I'm not trying to become self-sufficient. It's a reminder every single day that I need Jesus just as much today as I've ever needed him. So aren't you grateful for the patience that the Lord's shown you all throughout the course of your life? Doesn't that make you grateful? I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful that he, that he gives us the time that we need to respond to his offer of salvation. And I'm thankful that he remains patient with us as we grow in our faith and as we develop spiritual maturity, because it, it frequently takes us time to do the right thing. I know for me, sometimes I'll hear something, and my initial reaction to it is not always action. It's sometimes contemplation. Sometimes I need to think about it for a little bit, and then I do the right thing. Hopefully, hopefully I listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and do the right thing. But I think a lot of us are like that. Sometimes we need a little time to get things figured out, and the Lord's patient with us. He's patient with us, I think, especially if our faith is being stretched in a new way, or if we're experiencing a trial or a test that doesn't really resemble something like we've gone through before. You know, maybe some of you are going through something like that right now where you're like, you know what, I've watched as the Lord was faithful in my life in so many ways with this test and this test, but the test I'm going through right now or the trial I'm going through right now, it doesn't quite look like the ones in the past look like. And isn't it nice to know that the Lord's patient with us in the midst of our new season of learning or our, this new season of our faith being stretched in a way that's not familiar to us? I'm so grateful that the Lord, particip- that the Lord allows us to participate in the work that he's doing in this world. And I'm thankful that he makes us useful to him in the midst of the actions that he's taking all throughout the course of human history, as we seek to live up to the name of Christ, as we seek to demonstrate a sacrificial spirit, as we seek to just ultimately thank him for the patience that he offers while also demonstrating patience to those that he places in our lives. And one of the things that I've been praying about for my own life and and for my family, and I, I, I pray this for our church as well, and I'd encourage you to begin praying this for yourself and for your family, is it just take an assessment of your life and, and, and just ask the Lord to show you how he wants to work his power in and through you, to use you to do things that you didn't ever anticipate that God was going to use you to do. I think it'll stretch your faith in certain ways, but I think it'll also be a confirmation to you that God is present with you right here and right now. And I think this was the kind of experience that Paul was certainly going through as he was imprisoned here and he's going through things that he hadn't gone through before. 
I think this was new for Onesimus as well, and he's watching how God was using him in new ways. And I think Philemon was probably surprised he was looking at this and saying, all right, God's asking me to do things that he did not yet ask me to do at earlier seasons of life, and it would not shock me to discover that you might find yourself in that kind of situation as well. And if the Lord wants to use you for something new, be open to it, and then trust him to empower you to do the things that he's called you to do, because I do believe he'll empower you. And I believe he'll stretch your faith. And I think that on the other side of the experience, what's ultimately going to result is you're going to develop additional, deeper confidence in God and confidence in the fact that he's present with you just like he promised he would be. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and just for the privilege that it is to be able to look at a portion of scripture like this. Just think about this thought of usefulness. Lord, we know that you're, it's not your aim just in a, in a callous kind of way to use us. That's not the concept here. But Lord, it's amazing the things that you do through us. It was amazing to see that in the generations of believers who came before us, people like Paul and Philemon and Onesimus. It's amazing to see it now. It's also really cool, Lord, to, to think how in your in your providence, in your, in your sovereignty, you saw to it that Onesimus was given the name that he was given. And then you illustrated just how your power to transform a life was at work in his life and how you took someone who maybe to some perceptions was useless and made them useful not just for physical tasks, but ultimately in the eternal work of your kingdom. So he partnered with the Apostle Paul, and I believe as he, as he ended up partnering with Philemon, Lord, it's just so wonderful to be able to see these things and the work that you were doing in the lives of each of these individuals. It's wonderful to see how your patience was demonstrated in their day-to-day lives. It's also wonderful when we think of our own lives and we think, Lord, you have been abundantly patient with us. Lord, I can think of so many times where I've tested your patience. And even though your scripture tells us that that is not wise to do, that that is not something that we should make a habit of doing, Lord, I have done that. And I confess that to you, and I confess that in front of our church family, and I know that there are so many of us that can look up over the course of our life and say, yep, we've done the same thing. I think we're all in the same exact boat. And yet we look at, at your word, and we see what your son Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. And we're so grateful that through your son we have new life. We're so grateful that through your son we have forgiveness and we experience redemption. We're so grateful for the fact that we have the promise to be in your presence for all eternity. And Lord, in the meantime, as we await some of those promises to come to their ultimate fulfillment, we pray that we would submit our lives and our hearts and our minds and our intentions over to you in every way, and that it would be our desire to be useful to you in the work of your kingdom. Lord, we're just so grateful for the fact that you allow us to partner with you this way and that you would bestow your name upon us that you would make us bearers of your name and your ambassadors in this world. And so, Lord, we pray that we would live up to that name as we call ourselves followers of Christ, Christians. We pray, Lord, that whether tests come our way or difficulties come our way or or, uh, any faith-stretching experience, if it comes in our direction, we pray that you would be honored and glorified in how we respond, that we would trust in you to ultimately lead, guide, and direct us. Thank you again for the encouragement we receive from your word. 
By your grace, we pray that we would live it out. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Has fear stolen your peace? I'm Jennifer Slattery, lead host of the Faith Over Fear podcast, helping you fight your fears and grow your faith. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.